Hey, welcome to Widow Too Soon. This is Mark Massaro. I'm here with my friend and co-host, Michelle Bader. What is going on, Michelle? You know, I had a fabulous, fabulous Thanksgiving. Nice. I hosted and my friend, he came to visit. It was amazing. Um, <laughs> my friend in quotes, you can't see the quotes he's doing, but it's quotes. Special YouTubers um, can. Right. The ones who are following us on YouTube. Anyways, everything went so much above everything. I keep thinking of the verse, like that God will give you immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. And this whole like six days with him. And it was amazing. Like, um, and in future times, I will get into more details about that when I can, but it was just absolutely amazing. And uh, my kids really enjoyed him and my family and we got to do so many things and I didn't, I didn't really experience grief. It was just like this whole new experience of someone that I'm getting to know to date. And, um, it was great. So that was a little bit about my last week and my Thanksgiving. Awesome. Yeah. How, how about you? How was Thanksgiving? How are things going? What a going? blessing. First of all, I'm super happy for you. <laughs> That's really, you. really cool. Yes. Um, my Thanksgiving was great. I made a tri-tip. I was going to make Ooh, a nice prime job. rib. I know I don't do the turkey. I realized a few years ago that I'm like, I like turkey, but just not enough for how much work it is. Right. <laughs> um, so I started switching to prime rib. Well, I was going to buy a prime rib um, and it would have been a hundred and twenty dollars no. for a prime rib. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, nope, we're doing tri-tip. So uh, my brother came over and we cooked and we had a really good time together. It was awesome. Nice. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's uh, not much super interesting uh, at the moment. But today we have a very special um, treat for you guys. Yes. We have a guest, uh, Kate Sladek. Did I say that right? I always... Uh, no, Slay okay, yeah. Slay deck. Okay, I always question myself <laughs> after I say it if I haven't said it in a few minutes. So, um, how are you, Kate? I'm doing okay. I'm doing good. okay. Um, we thank you know, we thank you for being here. Yeah, yes. go ahead. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you for having me. I like I said when I reached out to you guys, I really appreciated your um, your podcast on dating and the intricacies and all of that. And I've been meaning to listen to you guys more often because I follow you, Michelle. And, um, yeah, of course. And, um, that was the first one that I've listened to. And Mm -hmm. I was like thrilled to be able to identify with both Mm -hmm. of you on like so many levels. So, um, I just had to reach out to you and thank you. Wow. That's amazing. What a gift. I don't yeah. know why you don't follow me, but whatever. No, I'm, just <laughs> I'm just using you. You're so not tomorrow, cool. I'll like get me. to that tomorrow. <laughs> I'll, I'll get a friend request soon. I'm sure. No, I'm just kidding. You know why, Mark? It's because you don't do dances on TikTok. You don't. That, that, that might be it. Right. That might like, be it. That once could you be... start like dancing on TikTok, and then you post it to Instagram, and you post it all the places, then people follow you. So yeah, I'm sure I'll start blowing up the day that that boom. happens. Yeah, that's right. Anyways. <laughs> So yeah, moving right along. So um, Kate has a very powerful story that we've been blessed enough that she shared with us and um, she is ready and willing to share it with you guys. And we're really grateful Mm -hmm. for for that, Kate. So thank you. Um, Yeah. Do you want to just kind of start off and and tell us your story? Maybe, you know, how you guys met and what you guys have been through together and then your journey. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, So my husband, Brian, and I met when we were 14. We were freshmen Mm -hmm. in high school um, here in the Chicago uh, Southwest suburbs. And 
I just immediately, we immediately had that chemistry that like young teenagers do, Mm -hmm. you know, and we like dated one summer and I broke up with him on vacation in my parents (laughs) RV with like the big honking phone that you that's hilarious yes it was it truly was um and then we were just really good friends all throughout high school um throughout college he came to visit me when I went to um, Colorado State and he went to Florida um but there was always more there you know um and we finally reached a point where actually uh, a few years later we um he was living in San Diego Um, and I was living in Florida where, uh, we finally, like, I didn't have a boyfriend. He didn't have a girlfriend. (laughs) It was like, Hey, let's do this. Let's try this, you know? Um, but before that we really did go through a, I went with him as a friend through his first diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. He had diffuse large B cell non-Hodgkin's lymphoma that he was diagnosed, um, as a 19 year old. Um, when he was away at, at college. So um, it presented as a large grapefruit size mass under his collarbone. And mm-hmm. one of his friends said, bud, let's go get this checked out. Come on. They were mm-hmm. working out very big into working out all the time. And um, so he did, and pretty much immediately came home to Chicago, um, you know, in this medical hub that we live in. Um, and he had treatment and went to school through treatment. And then wanted to forget cancer, um, Mm. understandably as like a 23 year old kid, you know? So he moved to San Diego to try life out West and, um, was super into music and surfing. And, um, and like I said, this, all this time we remained really good friends and, um, and always got together when we were home in Chicago, visiting our families, you know, on breaks and summers and stuff like that. So we always remained really close. And then, like I said, um, a few years later, he ended up moving to, he ended up moving to Florida for me. Um, I was working at the zoo in Tampa at the time. And um, we ended up getting married here in Chicago a few years later. So mm-hmm. like 2007 ish. And um, timing wise, his second diagnosis of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma came exactly 10 years, almost to the day of his first diagnosis. So we had just moved home. We were living with my parents, um, here in the burbs and looking for a place in the city. And, um, we moved home because I got a great job offer at Brookfield Zoo here in Chicago. And, um, I'm a veterinary technician and super passionate about my career. And, um, he ended up getting a job also in the city, um, at Goldman Sachs and three months in, um, we thought again, from working out, we thought that he had hernias and they turned out to be inguinal lymph nodes. So that was, like I said, a second diagnosis exactly 10 years later, and they called it a durable remission and seemed to pat themselves on the back that he had mm. remission, which always mm. kind of bugged us, you know, that it even reared its ugly head again, of course, because we were hoping that, you know, of course that he wouldn't be diagnosed and that this would be all out of the way and not in our, you know, not in our future. And, um, he had, he went through treatment again, he had a second, um, stem cell transplant, um, at Rush and, 
um, we ended up from there after treatment, um, moving to the city and really just trying to enjoy life. Um, but he had a really hard time coping and he did the first time as well, but I was more on the outside of that. And, you know, this time we were married, we had moved home, wanted to start a family and, um, he was really, um, you know, it just rocked our worlds, of course. Yeah. What cancer diagnosis does not, you know? So, and, and he was really, I think this time, I know this time was facing his own mortality, you know, and not knowing where to go or what to do with that. Um, and at the time we were, um, I would say more spiritual than religious, um, would go to church when it was convenient mm-hmm. um, and did not make a huge point of it, you know, or we did when we'd come home to the burbs and, and visit our families and stuff like that. But um, uh, yeah, it was, it was a really, really tough time in our lives, in our marriage. Um, we ended up definitely using the resources that were there out there, couples counseling and um, um and yes, going to church more. Um, and I think we both felt that we finally like wanted to help people that we wanted to help other people. And I think that helped both of us just deal with it in general. Um, so we, we definitely came out of it and, and felt like we came out on the other side and he ended up running for the man of the year for the society. Yeah. And he always been big into like marathons and, and doing team and training and being involved, you know, in that aspect, um, for the leukemia lymphoma society. But when he ran for man of the year, um, it was a real grassroots campaign. We had no idea what we were getting into. And of course it, it hit us a few weeks in, like, this is a fundraising campaign and nothing more, you know, (laughs) but I mean, it was amazing. It was awesome. We held 16 events in 10 weeks and raised just over a hundred grand within those 10 weeks. And he ended up winning the title. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, and, and he left his, you know, lucrative financial position at Goldman Sachs. And once a leukemia lymphoma society approached him like six months after this campaign and offered him a job. So, and they became like family to us. Yeah, it was, it was really wonderful and gave him more of a sense of purpose and direction, you know? Sure. Um, And a feeling like he's, you know, helping mm -hmm. people and knowing and understanding what they're going through. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And, and he could really connect with patients and he could really connect with, um, uh, you know, senators and legislators when they were trying to get bills changed. Um, and this is a, like a whole nother talk probably, <laughs> but, you know, having to do with oral chemo parity and, and getting um, the medical institutions, but also um, insurance and hospitals to jump on the bandwagon with treating them similarly. Um, not just IV chemotherapy being, Mm. um, being the more significant, but also oral, um, chemo as well. Um, and he, he was a powerhouse. He really was because he had that 
he was a patient advocate to his heart, you know, to his core, because it was in his heart, it was him, you know. So um, we became, like I said, really close with everyone at the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, both at the Chicago chapter and nationally. And, and I was thriving at, at my position at the zoo and just absolutely loved it. And um, we, you know, we really wanted to have a family and because of his two previous diagnoses and all of his treatment, um, that was really hard. Mm-hmm. That was, you know, proved to be impossible. Right. So um, we did go through IVF and eventually got pregnant over a year, year and a half or so. Um, I did have a miscarriage in there, which was very um, discouraging and upsetting. And, you know, just the whole fact of having to start over the process. Sure, right? yeah. um, not a cheap process either. No, mm-hmm. not by any means, right? And um, yeah, that was another thing going hmm, insurance from a large financial institution to a nonprofit is quite different. Oh, you yeah, know, but... but, you know, we prayed about it like crazy and and we, and we made it happen with, you know, love and support from, you know, our parents and our community and friends. And it's just something that we, that we got through, you wow. know, and, and ended up with our, with these beautiful twins. We had a boy and a girl, um, in February of 2014, Avery and Vivian, mm-hmm. and, um, talk about a godsend, you know, I don't have to tell you guys that. Yeah. But I'm just curious, February, what? February 20th. Oh, okay. My daughter's is February 11th. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, it's close. Yeah. They just, um, I feel like we never, at the time, you know, you're exhausted, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're like, holy cow, twins. And they prompted us to then, you know, we were in our three flat in the city for we lasted about a year before moving to the suburbs and like wanting grass and not having to you know go yeah. up and down stairwells with sure. two car seats and all that yeah. stuff, you know but um it was uh we moved out to the suburbs in 2016 and within months he was diagnosed with his third bout of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma mm. wow. so um, this time the presentation was quite different, but we both were on like heightened awareness. I mean, we just knew something was so very wrong, you know, um, he was having these, um, not like pain. Um, well, he did have these very painful bouts, but it wasn't consistent. Um, it was just intermittent, like every three or four weeks, but it would just overtake his body. Like if he was driving, he would like veer off the road type thing, um, and be like sweating and could barely talk, you know, it was like, so painful, hit him so hard. And we had to be talk about patient advocates. We had to really push because, you know, he had endoscopies, he had colonoscopies, they never found anything. And I actually had a GI specialist laugh in my face when, I insisted about the potential for like him having a, you know, recurrence. And he said, I'm telling you that, you know, his scans are clear. Like he looks great. This, Mm -hmm. you know, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And we got to the point where we insisted on a PET scan and um, his peritoneum just lit up like a Christmas tree, his Mm -hmm. entire peritoneum, you know, the 
the bag basically that holds all the organs of the abdomen was just caked with oh. cancer. So, um, yeah, at the time our babies were two and a half, just barely. Yeah. Two and a half. And like I said, we just moved into a nice, beautiful home in the suburbs and, um, you know, we had these wonderful jobs that we were really passionate about and we're like, Oh my God, here we go again. You know, mm-hmm. we've got to be kidding. So, um, he went through treatment again, had a third stem cell transplant. And, um, that was really hard on both of us talk about facing his own mortality. I mean, at this point he was like, just give me a few years with my babies, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, gosh, that's sad. oh my gosh, he just, and then looking back, like at his journals, you know, um, I, I felt like he was coming to terms with it more than I was. I mean, he'd become known to our family, to our friends, to our community is like the comeback kid. I mean, not kid, mm. but you know what I mean? Mm. Like yeah, yeah. as much as he was so sick of being like the cancer guy, you know, he, he was a warrior, man. He really was. And, um, you know, as his, as he had multiple rounds of chemo and, um, like I mentioned earlier, you know, neutropenic fevers. So he'd have these hospitalizations, neutropenic fevers of unknown origins, you know, all of that mm-hmm. stuff that is super frustrating. And that could be three days in the hospital or three weeks, you know, which was really hard. Um, but pre COVID, you know, now thinking back, I'm grateful that we were able to bring the kids to the hospital and, you know, they got very used to it. Three years old, wearing masks and gowns and just being around daddy and watching movies in the hospital beds. And, mm-hmm. you know, our parents, um, luckily my, my parents live really close and Bry's mom lived 20 minutes away in his childhood home. So, um, they were around constantly and, and truly still are. Um, but that was really, uh, really, really tough. And with the kids being so young, you know, they kind of kept us focused on, on, on life and functioning and, um, keeping it moving. And, um, it really was just a really difficult time, you know, just the in and out of the hospital. And then he ended up getting graft versus host disease. Um, which affected his lungs, his GI tract, um, his eyesight. Um, so like all these little things that could just make it a little more hellish for him, you know? Um, and man, he never complained. (laughs) He truly did it. Like he would have these like instances where he'd be super quiet or, you know, or needing alone time, you know, he was definitely an introvert. He was definitely a private person. I was, I'm definitely more of an extrovert and, um, kind of like what you see is what you get. My heart's on my sleeve. And, um, but we, you know, we complimented each other. Well, I like, sure, yeah. um, but, um, yeah, it, it was a really rough few years and, um, one exactly one year out of his third stem cell transplant, So the first two were his own cells because they were considered healthy cells and there was no evidence of cancer, of course. And so those were autologous stem cell transplants. The, um, the third one was 
28 year old nursing student from Germany. Um, and everything looked amazing. Like I said, until just about like that one year mark when he was diagnosed with his fourth blood cancer called myelodysplastic syndrome, which is a precursor to AML or acute myeloid leukemia, which there is no cure for, you know, they say like, you're lucky if you have five years. Um, and he really didn't even get that. Um, they were kind of able to hold it at bay and then it'd be like time to start chemo again and then hold it at bay and like lay off chemo and then start chemo again. And he would always say, I almost wish I could just be in chemo all the time because you're not worrying, you know, because you have this medical plan of action, right. Mm-hmm. And you're doing everything you can towards it. And, um, and when he wasn't in chemo, it's like, that's when the thoughts crept in, you know, and the oh, worry and the concern and, right. and, you know, yeah, the hands-off approach wasn't always great mentally, um, or the watch and wait, I guess. Mm. Um, which I understand, I, I understood at the time, you know, but we were just thrilled that he didn't have to be in chemo. Right. Um, so he did have these bouts where he was in and out of the hospital for quite some time and where the kids would come visit, or I, I always felt this push and this pull. And I always felt totally torn between being with the kids or being with Bri. And I always wanted to be with him in the hospital. I just did. Um, and as his caregiver, I mean, and with, I think with my veterinary medical background, um, you know, there were several times that I caught things that the hospital didn't catch. So that was always in the back of my mind. You know, he was septic more than a handful of times. Um, that wasn't all. And I mean, people die from sepsis once. I think he was septic like five times, Whoa. six times, six times over the last, what was that from? I mean, they could never really pinpoint it, but being okay. someone is immunocompromised and, and who has a port, right. That's being uh, accessed oh, yeah. for chemo, for fluids, for blood products, you know, sure. platelets or red blood cells. Um, yeah. Just, mean, yeah. Yes. And there were times that, you know, this one time in the hospital, I'll never forget. I'm saying, you know, can we give it a break? There are too many pokes you're done. Mm-hmm. you know, put in a pick line elsewhere or, or try again later, you know, mm-hmm. like you're done. And they were like, we're going to get this. We're going to get this. Guess what? Three days later, he was septic. And I'm like, I called it, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. just like that was always at the back of my mind too, because I felt like I knew his body best. He was, we always were, we comforted each other. We were calm with each other. We, you know, he always wanted me there. I always wanted to be there. And, but then being with him and not with the twins as they're so little, you know, it was just heartbreaking, you know? Um, and it was during his last, like most horrific hospitalization. It was about four months long in the summer of 2019. He was hospitalized from beginning of April, again, neutropenic fevers, and I'll never forget that morning talking to him with the kids on the couch, like, you know, zooming with him, um, or duo or Facebook video. I think it was, um, <laughs> that the nurse put oxygen on him. And I was like, what's going on? Like mm-hmm. you're set to come home like tomorrow, you know? And he was like, yeah, I'm just having some issues. I'll call you back. And I just knew, cause he didn't want to stay in front of the kids. I knew he was struggling to breathe. 
um, which was not commonplace at all. You know, I could just tell by his mannerisms and demeanor. Anyway, that was the start of this really long, absolutely horrific hospitalization. So um, he was in and out of ICU. Um, his kidneys failed because they couldn't, um, I mean, they threw the, like everything in the kitchen sink at him antibiotics wise because he was septic. He did have pneumonia. And so his kidneys failed. So then he's on constant rate dialysis. And then, um, wait, at that point, he wasn't septic. It was pneumonia. Anyway, you know, getting my order of happenings mixed up. We know how that goes. Yes, (laughs) I know, right? Um, So, yeah, summer 2019. um, He became septic after that. So um, he also had to be put on a vent. And to breathe for him, you know, life support, basically to give his body a a rest um, from the pneumonia um, and to breathe for him because he was just constantly fighting to breathe. Mm -hmm. And he actually, he was so physically strong that they had to put him on paralytics. They had to paralyze him on top of sedating him because his body was so strong. It was trying to fight the vent. So um, this was like for days. It wasn't just like, oh, a few hours. This was yeah. for days, you know? So um, to read some of his accounts about that too, about the paralytics and um, what that was like to go through and to, and to truly be aware, but then also to be, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like just in and out of consciousness, you know? Mm. Um, and paranoid and, you know, being able to see and not communicate, see and hear and not communicate, you know, um, it was really shocking, um, our conversations after this. And I'm glad we were able to have those conversations. But so, like I said, he was on and off the vent a few times. I mean, people came to say goodbye to him. His med teams came to say goodbye to him. And then at one point he was having mini strokes and brain bleeds. And to to this day, it was really hard because I was not there for like 48 hours. And if I left, it was for like 24 hours during this four month period, you know, 48 max. And I was not there for this 48 hours. And this is when he really started to go downhill cognitively and nobody picked it up. And I'm like, if I were there, you know, I would have, I would have known, but of course, you you know, hindsight, right. And like, yeah that's what we tell ourselves as like caregivers that we know, you know, that we know them best. And, mm-hmm. oh, that was, by really the way, tough. I wanted to tell you real quick that yeah. uh, I love that you're saying caregiver because I know my mother-in-law who listens to this, um, sure. you know, she lost her daughter. She yeah. would always correct me if I said caretaker. caretaker. She's like, what yeah. are you taking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like never you're thought a of caregiver. that. Caregiver. And I was yes. like, oh, okay. So it was kind of an well, inside. And caretaking you know. is, a, is a different industry. Oh, is it really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. Okay. I don't know either. Yeah. I just thought it was the yeah. same thing for the same word. And I'm sorry to interrupt. I just, no, that's okay. To, to that's okay. That. Yeah. No, it's definitely caregiver. Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. So, you, and, you know, a lot of us out there like knows how that feels and to be pulled into a million different directions and mm-hmm. have different opinions of family and parents and, and the medical professionals themselves and having to go with like what your gut is telling you. And, mm-hmm. and, and I know that he really wanted to dive more into integrative medicine and did not get that chance. Mm-hmm. Um, but on top, he ended up actually bouncing back once again, this like wow. heroic comeback from these, like, 
brain bleeds and many strokes. Well, then we found out that the, um, when he was septic, the bacterial vegetations settled on the valves of his heart. So Whoa. then he had to have this very controversial open heart surgery oh my to, goodness. to either replace or clean off his valves. And of course he was weak. I mean, not quite frail, but like borderline. We, nobody knew if his body would be able to handle it. Um, and I'm going, you've got to be kidding. The only system that has not been affected is his liver, <laughs> like throughout all of this. Wow. Um, so uh, that too was really difficult to get the med teams. You know, you have the cardiology unit, you have infectious disease, you have um, hemoc, hematology, oncology, you have mm -hmm. the ICU team, the hospitalists, you know, you have minimum. Oh, and then you have pulmonology, right? So there's just mm -hmm. five teams that I'm naming off the top of my head that each have their hand in the pot that each have their own, you know, opinions on what should be said and done. And, um, I was insistent. I got with their patient care service coordinators and I was absolutely insistent on getting all of these people in the same room. You know, I don't care a lot of the <laughs> I won't say God complex, but like, you know, a lot of surgeons and, and well-known infamous doctors do have a God complex. And, um, yeah. I was really proud of us at the time that we were able to say, we need to have a meeting in his room with his parents, with all of you who are going to be involved, you know, like this is his life. So mm -hmm. y'all need to be involved. And, and that was something that I later was told holy cow, good job for standing your ground. That's never mm -hmm. happened. Like that's never happened that, you know, these like certain whatever. So it turned out the surgery was an absolute success. Um, the surgeon who was world known said it was like, I was standing on my head doing the surgery. You know, it was like a six hour, seven hour surgery wow. because of the radiation that his, when he was 19, that he had to decrease the size of that that mass under his clavicle had like rotated his heart and lifted his lung, his hemi diaphragm. So anyway, it's, I'm getting too mm. technical maybe, but um, it's just, oh, he's, like, wow, he's always incredible. been our miracle man. You know, he just always was our miracle man. He really was, he came through it all. And we just wanted him to get to the point where he can eat and swallow again, because of course that's an issue being intubated, being on mm -hmm. life support that when you're coming out, you can't just eat, right. You can't just mm -hmm. drink. So that was a really big battle. And I feel like that was one of the hardest things for him mentally, um, to try and come through. I know it was, um, and we had to get him at that point so that he could go to rehab, you know, physical rehab. So he ended up doing that. He did get to rehab, got pneumonia again, had to go back in the hospital. And this is like one week in rehab. And then he, um, our goal was to get him to Shirley Ryan Ability Lab, which is one of the best in the country. It's like number one or number two here in Chicago, part of Northwestern, sort of. Um, and we ended up getting him there. He was three weeks in, the in rehab with only like one blood transfusion, was walking without oxygen, I mean, again, our miracle man, right? Like this was amazing. His, his progress was amazing. Well, so the day before he's supposed to come home, 
we noticed like a, a black spot on his arm. I noticed that it was a spot that was getting bigger. And, you know, again, hindsight's 2020, right? I should have known immediately that it was fungal. And I mean, it only took another 24 hours to figure that out, but it turned out that he had this fungal infection um, in an old IV infiltrate wound, you know? Mm. Um, so just an old IV spot um, where there was an IV catheter. Um, and it just showed up, literally just showed up like within 24 hours. And it turned out to be mucormycosis, which affects people like him to a T. Young males, immunocompromised, blood cancer. I mean, it was like, you know, he had like nine of the 10 things that like people who, who suffer and, and eventually die from this. Well, he did not die from it, but he did have to be hospitalized again and he had major surgery on his arm. And I remember us, you know, sitting in, sitting in ICU saying, do you have the surgery? Like you might not be able to play the guitar again. You might not be able to write again. He was, he loved writing. He loved journaling. Mm -hmm. He loved writing music. He loved playing the guitar. Like that, those were his happy places, you know? And that was a big consideration when we were thinking about him having the surgery, decided to have it, ended up not affecting his, his hands um, or his arms, but it was like a, you know, it was decent. Um, and then he was released to come home. Well, he was, he was quite frail because after being at Shirley Ryan ability lab for three weeks and gaining all of this, like he tremendously, he came so far, like I said, walking without oxygen, walking without assistance, without a walker, without a cane, without a, you know, anything. And then to be put back in the hospital for two weeks, it really set him back. And, um, but he was able to come home. I'll never forget it on July 29th. And um, our community came out, um, Hope and Friendship Foundation, which is a nonprofit here in Lamont um, that has been supporting our families in so many ways, you know, meals, gas cards, parking passes, <laughs> just these people are wonderful. They just tend to come out of the woodwork, you know, when you're going through something like this sometimes you like don't expect um but they just showed up they were here you know balloons signs everything his church rooted group oh so here's something i did forget to mention that when he was healthier in like 2018 we did fit in a few family vacations you know and we did also we each went to this christian church uh, we each together we our family went to this christian church that his mom and, and some community people have been talking about. And we went and it was like, holy cow, it smacked us in the face. It was just so um, non-traditional and very like present day and very applicable to like many walks of life and, um, or not just walks of life, but circumstances in life and situations. And it gave us hope and it truly, I feel like off the cuff, this sounds like, it really renewed our faith in God. It, it really um, kind of rerouted us um, and got us together, like praying together at night again, together, you know, and we'd always prayed with the kids. We always said grace every meal, you know, stuff like that. But it brought us, it was an even like deeper, intimate relationship, you know, um, and not just me as wife, mom, nurse, 
you know, it was really a, a partnership and faith. And I think today that's like still what keeps me going sometimes. Wow. Right. Um, and we each joined a group called Rooted through our church where mine was a women's group. His was a men's group. So again, this was all like, I don't, he was, he was hospitalized in April. This was in like December, January of that year. So again, the God's fingerprints thing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so um, when he came home, you know, these guys were there for him and, and our church was there for us and our community was here for us and our family, of course, always and friends, you know? Um, but there was like also um, a larger sense. I don't know how to, I'm, <laughs> there was also a deeper sense of, you know, of faith, just period, you know, um, and a connection for sure with mm-hmm. us and with God. And so when he came home, I now know that he knew that he was not going to come out of this at the mm-hmm. time. I remember him, you know, being in bed and saying to me, am I going to get through this? Like, I'm asking you, cause you're the only one I believe, you know, and we sat there and we prayed about it. And I said, this is going to be your biggest hurdle yet, but you've gotten through hell, literal hell, you know, and you will get through this, but it's going to take a really long time. You know, we had PT coming over and home health and, and then he got to the point where he was still having to go back. And this is all over like two weeks, you know, he had to go back to the hospital every other day for almost every other day for blood products, for platelet transfusions or blood transfusions and needed help getting up the stairs and, Mm. you know, just all of that. Um, And he was quite frail and weak, but like not mentally, you know, Mm -hmm. which I think that's also what, where I couldn't see that his life was coming to an end. But I also know, knew at the time, he didn't want to live like that, you know? And the kids, I would bring them into our bedroom so that he could like sit up in the chair and they would play on the ground and like read to him. And, and I've always taken a lot of pictures and a lot of videos. And I, and I remember being pulled almost like, I felt like God was telling me like, Ooh, get this one, you know, like Mm -hmm. I would take videos of Vivi reading to him in bed or them watching, you know, Bri loved Pearl Jam and Chris Cornell and Foo Fighters and (laughs) Bob Dylan and, you know, he wanted to like flood them with this and reading, my gosh, he was an avid reader, you know? So I have all these great videos. Um, yeah. And I think he knew before we all did and, and I surely couldn't face it. Now looking back, I'm like, how could I not see this? You know, mm-hmm. what was coming down the pipeline, like short, short term here, you know? And, and I just didn't, I just couldn't. Um, um, oh yeah. And I'm skipping a big part of our story, aren't I? <laughs> That's okay. Um, I know you guys know this. So halfway during this hospitalization, I got really sick, just a virus. So I knew I couldn't be at the hospital. And, um, so I was home for like 10 days and his mom was at the hospital with him and extremely stressed. And he was stressed not having me there. And, you know, we're all so stressed and, um, here I am sick, taking home, you know, taking care of the kids here at home. And 
it was during like one late night. I'm such a night owl. It was during one late night of doing laundry. And I thought, hmm, you haven't done a self-rest exam in a while, you know, like <laughs> maybe I should pay attention to myself for, you know, half a second here. And I felt something different and was like, huh, you know what? I'm going to go. And I knew it was a virus, but I was like, I'm going to go get some antibiotics for the heck of it, you know, and I'll have her check this out too. And my PA wrote me like, she knew my schedule, knew I was trying my hardest to get back to the hospital, was like here for mammogram, ultrasound, and fine needle aspirate, you know, basically biopsy. Just here, you can have all, like get all these orders and let's get this looked into before, you know, before you get back into the hospital, you know? And I did, and I knew. So tune in next week if you want to hear the conclusion of Kate's amazing, inspirational story. Thanks so much for joining us this week. We really appreciate all that you do in being our listeners. If you would like to be a guest on the podcast, please reach out to us at widowedtosoonm at gmail.com. You can also reach out to us on Instagram, widowedtosoon underscore. If you like this episode, we'd love it if you get a little bing, five stars on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. So thanks again for joining us and we'll see you next week with the conclusion of this episode. Thank you. Welcome to Widow Too Soon. This is one of your hosts, Michelle Bader. Uh, Mark Massaro is out of town. He'll be back next week on our next episode. So welcome today to the conclusion of Widowed by Cancer with Kate Sladek. Um, As you guys saw in the last episode, very amazing, her story of faith, all that she has been through. And I know you guys are going to enjoy what we have today. So Sit back, relax, and um, I hope you enjoy this conclusion, and we'll talk to you next time.